This week on Listen with the Lights On, we bring you part one of a special broadcast from our first Tales from the Tavern live event. We hosted a two-hour panel at the Old English Pub in Albany with special guests. One of the boys would say to me, like, I, I think somebody's in my room. And then you can't help it, but I don't believe in ghosts, but all of a sudden you just get there, oh my god, I don't want to go in this. We discussed regional legends both new and old to this podcast, including stories from the New York State Capitol building, from the days Alexander Hamilton frequented Albany, and from the Old English pub itself. Hello everyone! Welcome! Hello! Thank you for coming! This is uh, our live edition of Listen with the Lights On, our podcast from WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And we are calling this Tales from the Tavern. <laughs> so we thank you guys all for coming. We also want to thank Mark Graydon for accommodating us, uh, giving us the space to have this. And we also want to thank Paul Nooney and Maeve McEnany of Hello. the original Albany Ghost Tour, yes. who are frequent contributors to Listen with the Lights On and our go-to source for scary stories here in Albany, Troy, and beyond. So Welcome. thank you guys so much thank for you. joining. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I suppose I should introduce myself. Oh, yeah, we should introduce <laughs> Somebody else is over there, yes. I'm Patrick Garrett. I'm a morning edition producer and co-host of Listen With The Lights On. And I'm Jessica Blaustein-Marshall. I am the other co-host of Listen With The Lights On. What we're going to do today, we're going to start out uh, talking to Maeve and Paul here about some of the encounters they've had personally uh, in the region. And then after that, we are going to talk to Mark a little bit about the pub and and some of the ghost stories and and different uh, legends and lore that have come out of the pub. And then after that, if any of you guys are feeling emboldened, you know, we'll we'll let you have a couple of beers before, if if that helps things. Um, We invite you to come up and tell your own stories uh, about things that you've heard or seen or witnessed um, here in this region. Um, so if you want to do that, uh, over on the table there, I stole some coloring paper from my three-year-old and <laughs> cut it up, <laughs> and uh, you can write down your name and maybe like a sentence about whatever the story is that you want to tell, and just bring it up to us, and you know, if there's more than one of you who wants to tell the story, we'll just take them as they come. So It's kind of like karaoke, but with ghost stories. Karaoke, yes, okay. but with ghost stories, <laughs> exactly. So, all right, let's get started. So, Maeve and Paul, what do you got for us? Where do you want to start? Yeah. I mean, we can, uh, well, I can tell you a little bit about us. Uh, Paul and I, of the original Albany Ghost Tours, we have uh, started with the Albany aqueducts and trolleys. And uh, I had collected ghost stories from my childhood. Uh, I've, if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard that my father's a local historian. So I used to go into a lot of these old buildings. And I realized, even when I was like, 10 to 13 years old, we have enough for a tour. I become a tour guide in my 20s. I meet Paul, and we put together the uh, trolley tour that started here at Quackenbush Square, and it went all the way to Graceland Cemetery and back. And these tours would maybe end at 10 o'clock at night. So logically, after a strange night with uh, costume zombies and sort of strange ghosty energies in a cemetery, what did we want? a beer. (laughs) And we would go to the Albany pump station or we'd come to Old English Pub when it opened up and we'd be in costume. We'd be in capes because we were so tired and people would look at us and say, (laughs) what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, What are you doing? And we would say, we're telling ghost stories. 
Well, all of a sudden that would sort of trigger something in the folks at the end of the bar. And they'd say, well, I lived on Quail Street or I live in Pine Hills or do you know that this pub is haunted? And they would just kind of start riffing and talking. And we were able to collect enough stories that we started Hops and Haunts, which is a haunted pub crawl in downtown Albany. So what I've always wanted to do is formalize uh, that sort of open mic. So I'm hoping it usually takes about a pint where as we're telling these stories, it does sort of trigger something. And I bet you're even thinking of that eerie story when you were a kid, you know, where you woke up in the middle of the night to that scratching under the bed and you looked under and there was nothing there or the monster in the closet. We want to hear about it. All right. So even if you're thinking, well, it's not really historical, we'd really love to hear maybe that experience that you had growing up or something your grandmother or your mother told you, uh, because that really adds to the rich, richness of a day like this. And Maeve and I have also had um, several occasions to do some investigations with some local paranormal societies. Um, we've gone to um, Tenbrock Mansion right up here in uh, Arbor Hill. We've gone to West Hall at RPI over in Troy. Um, and we, the, the team we work with also has done investigations at the Shaker site out by uh, the Albany Airport. And uh, a lot of the experiences that we have had personally, I think, at least for me, come from um, those investigations and being there with psychic mediums. And um, when, I, when, I, when I tell you, you know, I'm a, when I tell people I'm a ghost tour guide, I always preface it with, I am also the world's biggest skeptic when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> um, but I see stuff on these tours and I see stuff in these investigations that I have no explanation for, so that's how that's kind of how I became a, if you will, quote believer. <laughs> it is uh, it is pretty funny as we we talk about some of these stories. Some of the stories when we get into the lore may be familiar to you. Um, we do happen to have David Pitkin's book here, uh, and there are some stories that we have told from David Pitkin, but we might not have heard it from David Pitkin. And you say, but that's not how I heard it. And how does that come about? And and we think a lot of it, um, so I'm the youngest of four. So, you know, my family, they like to tell me stories to scare me, right? And, and isn't that what a lot of these ghost stories are? They're lessons, right? Why we talked about the Freer Park Demon, right, uh, in, uh, in Troy. And the Freer Park Demon in Troy is a legend about... Parking, basically, the classy way to put it. About the dangers of parking. The dangers of parking, dangers of parking of park in a park at night. At going to, of course, a young couple, as most of these stories starts, a young couple uh, pulls up to Freer Park at night to go, quote, stargazing. And a monster drops on the roof of the car. There's a loud smash. And they hear the nails being scratched along the top. And when the boyfriend almost starts to reach for that doorknob, whatever this creature is, rolls down the hood, leaps uh, into the surrounding woods, and they're watching the fingernails glittering in the moonlight as it disappears into that tree line. And what is that story really about? Is it really about the monster? No. <laughs> the really what that story is, it's a morality tale. It's one of those stories because you say, well, what year did this happen? When you start really digging it, what year did this happen? 
well, that's not really what it's about. So a lot of times these stories have morphed and changed depending on the teller, you know? If, and for my siblings, of course, you know, I, I've had people correct me and they say, yeah, but then the boyfriend got out of the car and, and then he got killed by it. And he was eviscerated. He was eviscerated. <laughs> so depending on who your storyteller is uh, can certainly change the tone of some of these. And I, I can't help but point out right now that we, we always start off our tours by saying that one of the ways spirits like to interact is through technology and technology malfunction. <laughs> uh, if you're listening at home, you may that. notice that, yes, the, uh, <laughs> the microphones are all malfunctioning. So, yes, just, just pointing that out. Well, we can, it wasn't we can me. Talk about it wasn't our, our Tenbrook Mansion experience with that, too. Yes. But one more thing I wanted to point out was a, a point that you had raised several times um, during our conversations, during our podcast, in that these stories were also a way for you to be interested in history. Absolutely. I, um, you know, growing up with a father who's a local historian, which meant I had no interest in history. Absolutely not. And anytime <laughs> he would try to bring me to these historic mansions, you'd be like, ugh, like, come on, Dad, another one? So he was smart enough to go, well, did you know this place is haunted? And I'd go, well, wait a minute. What do you mean it's haunted? And we'd go to Tenbrook Mansion, and I would hear the story of the man with the billy goat beard, that there's a spirit of a man in the window with a billy goat beard. And it was a psychic who came, and again, this is a throwback for those who are fans of the podcast, uh, a psychic came to tour the mansion on a slow day and was striking out left and right, going from room to room, saying, you know, somebody died in this room, and they're like, no, there's no evidence of that. But they go, when they say, oh, I want to go to the attic, at this point, they're like, sure, go ahead, go into the attic. Opens up a chest or removes a sheet, but unveils an image of a man with a billy goat beard. And the psychic goes, oh, that's the energy I'm feeling. He's very upset that his picture's not hanging back in what you call the Daughters of the American Revolution Room, the DAR room. And he's very upset, and you need to put it back. And they said, mm-hmm, okay, goodbye. Okay, crazy and, lady. And sent them on their way. <laughs> sure enough, a few weeks later, they're going through some old photographs, and they find an old photo of the DAR room. And sure enough, that image is hanging over that mantelpiece. Now, if you follow Tenbrook Mansion on Facebook, they just revealed a brand new picture of that room. Uh, and they have no idea what it is. It's an image from the 1920s, and the you can look at the image, but look in the comments because you can show. I know people are already pulling out their phones. I haven't <laughs> seen this. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you, and if you step back, uh, it, it, you can tell that it's a mirror, and in the mirror is an image of what looks like a man with no face in a suit. And if you Great. look at how the picture is structured, there's no way to tell where it's coming from. Uh, tour guides recently have been reporting in that room as well uh, that things like, you know, the cover on armchairs are getting knocked off between uh, tours, which you think, oh, well, somebody bumped into it. And yet they can't explain when they leave the room and come back how they've been finding uh, on the bed, almost like a dense, like an indentation, like somebody is sleeping there. So how does that tie back to the man with the billy goat beard? Well, <gasps> over that image... I just found the image. <laughs> oh uh, George Washington yeah, now hangs in that room. So that's who's over there now. So I wonder if that little bit of a spike could be triggered by that. And so that's oh a story God. I heard as a child, and ever since then... 
I've been <laughs> getting gosh. more and more evidence, such as images like this or from the tour guides. And when the ghost hunters investigated Tenbrook Mansion, they use uh, something called EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. And if you're not familiar, it's like static, uh, like you'd hear on a radio, and voices come through. And they get a man saying, go away, go away. So there's something happening in that mansion. Yeah. But yes, Tenbrook Mansion's Facebook page. Um, and one of those, some of you may know Slenderman. So that's it looks like Slenderman. Yeah. That's like, what it looked like. Yep. Uh, yeah, really. Slenderman. Oh uh, now with the internet and whatnot, kids, it, it's harder to scare them with some of these local <laughs> lore and legend. They've started making up their own. Uh, and Slenderman is a story that it appeared, um, they call them creepy pastas, where there was a challenge to people who can make the scariest urban legend. And somebody created uh, a man in a suit coat with no face who steals children, uh, which harkens back all the way. You go to Irish mythology and the fairies and the changelings. So something kind of primal sort of triggered those, and Slenderman has become this new lore, and that's when they shared that. Everybody's now connecting that. <laughs> And Freer Park Demon, when we tell it to students, they say, that's Slenderman. So that's sort of the new, where people are owning yeah. their own lore. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Jessica and I were actually talking about, they just mm -hmm. came out with a documentary on yes. Slenderman the on HBO. HBO. documentary, yep. Yeah, and it was all about how, you might have heard the story, a while ago there was young girls lured one of their friends into a park and stabbed her. And they left her, you know, it was a ritual. In it the was park. supposed to be a ritual <laughs> sacrifice to Slenderman, yeah. to appease him, and live with him forever in the woods in, of Wisconsin or Michigan or wherever it was. I think it was Wisconsin. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of where the it takes a little bit of a. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we've gone way yeah. off tangent. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's back it back. <clears throat> yeah. True though. I mean, uh, Slenderman is actually a very uh, relevant. Um, part of urban legends today and, and yeah. urban lore Modern and, and urban yeah. where these st stories could could head like the evolution of, of storytelling yeah. and such like yeah that. it just takes one person starting with something and again that primal fear of kidnapping children mm -hmm. children that disappear and going from there but you have a great the vulnerability story. yes i was just gonna yeah to break in with that yeah, yeah. so uh I, we mentioned that we were doing stuff with the Paranormal Society, so I assume this is the story you were, you yeah. were alluding to, <laughs> yes. Um, so this was a couple of years ago. We were um, at Tenbrock Mansion. We had done a tour out around the city, and we were doing a special event that night of a um, spirit circle, which for all intents and purposes is a seance. Um, and so we had gathered the group of people that had come on our tour um, into the dining room at Tenbrock Mansion. And again, Paul is the skeptic. So I go, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to just go sit over in the corner. I'm the tour guide. They're not going to talk to me. You know, I'm just here for atmosphere. Um, so I sit down in the corner. And the first thing that the medium um, who's running the, the, the spirit circle says is he points over in my direction. He says, just so you know, that corner of the room is the portal for all the spirits to enter the room. I'm like, oh, great. Dave did yeah. that to me, too. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. He's like, do you feel cold against your back? Um, and of course, I'm like, of course I do now because you just mentioned I feel I feel cold against my back. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and you know, he starts talking about stuff, and then he goes, "You in the corner." And I had just met this man that night, mind you. He goes, "You in the corner." I'm like, huh, me? Yeah, what? He said, um, "You had someone, uh, a closer relative, pass away recently. A man, right?" And I'm thinking. Okay, shot in the dark. So I said, yes, uh, my uncle had passed away. 
uh, maybe six months or so before that, I said, yes, my uncle, my uncle John had passed. He said, well, did your, did your uncle like to go fishing and do this? And he's asking me all these very obscure questions about my uncle. And I will, be, I will verily admit, um, as I'm now putting this out to the entire world, my uncle, <laughs> God rest his soul, was kind of a recluse. We didn't know much about him. <laughs> um, so I'm going, I don't really know much about my uncle. He goes, okay, well, whatever. He's, he's with us here tonight, I believe. Oh, and I have to preface this also by saying, on the way to work that night, I had been talking to my mother, and she had told me how she had just been in this big, we'll say, dispute with her cousins about my uncle's estate and breaking it up, and how the, who was going to get you know, the inheritance and the house and all this stuff, and it was kind of pitting them against each other, and everyone was kind of upset. So back to the seance, and the guy goes, well, your un I think your uncle is here tonight, and he has something he wants to tell you. He said he... Um, he wants you to pass along a message to your family that he never meant to leave his estate in such a mess and make everyone upset and fight. So please pass along his condolences, or, not, or his, uh, his apologies, and um, that's it. And I froze. I'm like, how did he know that? I'm like, I, like, the man couldn't have bugged my phone, I don't think. Um, <laughs> it's not like you posted about it on Facebook. Exactly. No, I, I literally had gotten into the parking lot, and I was on, sitting in the parking lot at Ten Rock Mansion on the phone with my mother talking about this, walked into work, did the tour, and then this happens. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he go, the, the medium goes, and if this truly is your uncle, he goes, could you show us a sign or something to, to let, us know, let Paul know that you really are here? And the... Um, the Mel meter, which me measures electromagnetic energy was, that was sitting on the table in front of me, spiked to its highest possible point, went back down. The guy goes, John has left. Thank you very much. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, literal ghost drop, you know. <laughs> but, and again, that's one of those things. How do you explain that? You can't explain that um, other than that he... You know, he was actually there in the room with us that night. So and that's part of the fun of it, because what you know, there should be some things in this world that are unexplainable. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, can I tell a capital story? Oh, really? Oh, yes, <laughs> so, yes. So, how many speaking folks of family, here, yeah. Uh, how many folks here have taken the New York State Capitol ghost tour? couple people. Uh, so that's one of the most popular tours uh, that are done in October. Uh, the, and people come from all over the region to take the New York State Capitol Ghost Tour. Uh, its author is Stuart Lehman. Uh, but this is a t story you might not have heard if you've taken the, uh, taken the tour uh, because it's another one of those tales that I heard as a child. And the most famous spirit in the capital is a spirit named Sam Abbott. Uh, in the fire of 1911, which started in the assembly library, and it was an absolutely devastating fire, uh, but it happened around 3 o'clock in the morning. So most, if anybody was there, they evacuated. But as they were cleaning out on the fourth floor, they found the body of the night watchman, Sam Abbott. And ever since then, there's a presence. And for a long time, we didn't know who this presence was. They called the figure George. That's what they called this energy. And it wasn't until uh, noted psychic Ann Fisher did an investigation in the Capitol that George, she went, no, 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 that's Sam. This is the night watchman. But at the time, and at the time the story was told, this energy was named George. 
Now, if you've taken a tour of the Capitol building, uh, you will notice that the tile, particularly on the third and the fourth floor, is absolutely beautiful. It's mint in tile, uh, and it looks like a mosaic. So each piece is laid down like a mosaic. And there's a, a up on the fourth floor, and it actually it looks like the skylight over the million-dollar staircase. There's actually a space there where the workers will, when they're restoring the tiles or doing any work, that's, that's where they, they're based out of. And around the 80s, they were doing a restoration of the Capitol building. And they were setting up the Minton tiles. And I got to let you know, some of these tiles are very tiny. They are very, very expensive and very special. So the workmen are laying out the tiles, and guess what? They're missing one of the tiles. They tear apart this room. They're looking up and down. Where are the tiles? They cannot find them. And eventually, they stand in front of the door, and there's only one door that somebody could have gone in and out. So they would have known. And they're standing there, and they talk, and they say, we're going to have to admit it. We're going to have to say, we lost the tile, and we're going to get in trouble. Take a deep breath. Go back in. They go to turn off the light, and wouldn't you know, that little piece of Minton tile is waiting there on the floor. Now, what I neglected to mention, because it's been a while since I told this story, is, is they were goofing around. It was getting so ridiculous that one of these workmen looked up to the sky and had said, George, we really need your help. And that's when they broke off, and they had their little conference turned and they found the tile. Now, I heard that story as a little girl when my father would walk me through the Capitol building. I became a tour guide there for a number of years and sure enough, met one of the men who was there. And he said, I can confirm that story that you heard 20 years ago because I was there. So it was really neat to see something that I heard as a child, as a, again, as a way to get me engaged in the building and look at Minton Tile because, you know, what 12-year-old is going <laughs> to be looking at Tile on their own and then making it really come to life by meeting somebody uh, who was there for it. Yeah, this town with the Capitol building and, and all of the Albany history is just a wealth of lore and oh, legends. yeah. And, amazing stories and I think that's a good segue to see if, if Mark would join us for a couple minutes yeah. to talk about this building yeah. the pub the old English pub and some of the history around it um, welcome Mark thank you so much again for giving us this space uh, yeah to no do problem this. at all so tell us a little bit about the history of the pub um, I think it was uh, I believe it was 1736 the old English pub or the Quackenbush house was built and um, so for us, it was a perfect space. We was trying to we was trying to work out how to build an English pub, and um, myself and Matt Baumgartner, uh, who owns uh, the uh, Wolf's Beer Garden, we were saying I said, oh, we need to find some place like uh, Man of Kent, and Man of Kent is up by Hoosick Falls, and I said it's a wonderful place, but I've only been there about two or three times, and it's a it's a good forty five minutes away, so you have to you know have one or two drinks and then come home, and I was saying oh, if that was here, it'd be perfect. So he said, well, why don't we have a look around for a building? So uh, just before this, Steve Barnes from Times Union uh, called me up and said, have you had a look at uh, the, what used to be Nicole's Bistro? So I said, no, I've got no idea where it is. And he said, well, if you work at Wolf's, it's just down there. So come down and we'll have a look at it tonight. So I walked into here and we had a look around the whole place and um, it was perfect. And it's exactly the kind of pub we needed because I believe, and please someone tell me if I'm wrong here, but the... Um, the pub is the public building, and it used to refer to um, 
especially women at home whose um, uh, husbands went off to war, um, if they didn't return, they had to find a, a way of earning a living. So they used to turn their residential building into like a, an alehouse and uh, a source of food and stuff like that. So they turned it into a public building. And that's where the uh, that's what I've been told is the start of the pub. So it used to be an old residential building that was turned into a place to to expect customers. So I looked around at this place and I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. It really is. So we we got the place, built it up. And probably two years later, everyone, all the staff had told me, you know the place is haunted, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it's not. I, I've, I'm exactly the same as you. I was like, no, no, it's fine. It, it's good. And then one night I had to stay over. I had to take over from the bartender. And it was about two o'clock in the morning. And uh, as he was leaving, he said, yeah, so um, you know it's haunted. <laughs> Good luck. And I had to be here from two o'clock until seven in the morning because there was an there was an overfreeze or there was a night where it was really freezing. It was February, and we had to keep all the taps on to make sure the the pipes didn't freeze. So I said, "Oh, I'll go there for the night. Don't worry about it." So I came down here, and so I got told it was haunted. And he said, "No, there's a there's a lady that they found upstairs." I still don't know if it's true, but all I know is that I spent my entire time on FaceTime with my parents in England, and I was like, don't leave. Just don't, don't, don't leave. So, but that's, that's my only story of, of here. So. And I can uh, build on that. Uh, and actually, just so you get a, a little uh, history, because, so, of course, that's what we're about, is uh, there are some folks, there are some Quackenbush champions who swear there's parts of it that are even older than 1736, but the official uh, dating that's come out is 1736. And it was built by the Quackenbush family, and it's built pretty much on what would have been considered the suburbs. Uh, what we now call Clinton Avenue would have been the city line. So the Quackenbush family and Peter Quackenbush, who was the first Quackenbush, was a brickmaker. And the river would have come up further up past probably that the parking lot in the back so he would have had access to the clay and all of this area i mean you're in the oldest part of the city just about where the parking garage is they found an old rum distillery uh potentially one of the oldest rum distilleries uh that was the barrels were still preserved uh and actually those barrels are still uh, at the new york state museum so you can go and visit them so it was one of the oldest preserved english distilleries there was a lot of different levels to to its age uh the other thing that's sort of cool about this building is colonel quackenbush fought in the battle of saratoga and when General Burgoyne was uh, captured in the Battle of Saratoga, just to give a sense of, of distance, uh, they captured Burgoyne, and they were bringing him to General Philip Schuyler's residence, which is just down that way. How far would you say? The guy from Hamilton, yeah, you mean? Hamilton. Oh, my God. The guy from the Hamilton. The guy from <laughs> Hamilton. Uh, and so how far would you say it is, Paul? To I the mean, Skylar Mansion? Yeah, from here. Maybe a mile? So it's a about mile a mile. And a half, two miles? So, oh, but so imagine traveling from Saratoga to the Skylar Mansion. Well, he's going to need a break, right? So they actually stopped here to get some refreshments. Yeah. So just briefly on their way to the to Skylar Mansion. So this this building has a really rich pedigree. And yeah, it's haunted. And <laughs> Oh, by the way. By the way. So and here's some of the stories and as Paul and I have been gathering a lot of these stories, a lot of times it takes people to warm up to it. 
And I came here, uh, and one of the uh, the former managers, Seamus, the first time I asked him, because I'm trying to build this repertoire, and we go, so is it haunted? And he's like, nah, no, 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 get out of here. Like, you know, he won't, <laughs> won't open up. So you have to go back a second time, you know, let a little time pass. Are you sure? And then you get the, well, I don't think so, but these guys, you point to the staff, they, they definitely think so. So a few stories that have come out, little things like you see the mirrors around. The staff have reported sometimes at night as you're cleaning the tables, you look up and it's not your face looking back at you, but you rub your eyes and there you are again. Uh, some of the poltergeisty things such as bread just popping off the, uh, the shelf, they call that bread ghost. Uh, Is that common enough where it actually has a technical term to describe it? A poltergeist? No, 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 no. Oh. bread ghost. Bread ghost. Yeah, no, 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 they call it. They just, they just named it bread ghost. Oh, oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, like, no. Is that a thing? Does that, like, happen a lot? Right. Yeah, if you look in your in-depth bread ghost. No, no, no. No, just poltergeist. Uh, but once, uh, and then the spirits become a little bit familiar with some of the folks who work here. Uh, and, of course, these happen at night. And there was one gentleman who was closing up, and he was actually expecting his brother to come in and pick him up. And his brother was, uh, was going to bike down. So he's uh, downstairs in the basement, and he starts hearing his name being called, right? So he comes up, and it didn't sound like his brother, but there was somebody trying to reach him. And he calls on his cell, and his brother's like, no, I'm at the head of State Street. It sure wasn't me. Well, he closed this building up real quick that <laughs> night. Uh, another night, they reported again, because it's Albany. Some of these pubs can stay open until 4 in the morning, so it's very, very late. And they're very, very tired, and they're just trying to be done with it. And they're down, of course, in that basement once again. And they see a woman run, kind of hide in the corner by behind, like, an ice machine, a big piece of equipment. And they're like, ugh, thinking it's, you know, a drunk girl, right, <laughs> playing a prank. So they're getting ready to go shoo them out. You need to get out of here. Well, look around that corner. There's nobody there. And then Seamus, who are the man who's telling me these stories, who didn't believe in any of it, had one more to tell. He was here with a friend of his, and that staircase that you're looking at right there where you happen to be standing, uh, <laughs> they look over, and, well, they one of them saw a shadow hand. So if they're by the bar, they see a shadow hand reach out, grab the banister, and then slip away. And one turns to the other, go, look, look, look. But, of course, when you go and look, there's nothing there. So I'm hoping some of the staff are listening in uh, <laughs> because there have been times where we've been telling hops and haunts outside and a staff member will scream, it's all true! And, <laughs> and they'll actually tell some of these stories without me having to do anything, which is great. Um, yeah. Wow, I'm, I'm trying to avoid looking at the mirror right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our pubs in general are places for people, like as you said, are places for people to come and congregate and and this one in particular has become a place where people come and tell these ghost stories. Is that mm -hmm. is that typical of a pub? I mean, is that? I mean, that's what we found across all you know <laughs> all kind of cultures and things. I mean, I, I, I pubs. if I had to take a guess at it, I would say you know a lot of a lot of the theory is that you know spirits that are that inhabit a place like this are energy. They're energy mm -hmm. left behind by people that once inhabited the place. So if this was 
uh, you know, a, a restaurant or whatever that had a regular who was here all the time sitting in the same bar stool, and then that person passed on, their energy can be left behind mm -hmm. in the place where they spent a lot of time. Um, or it could be someone from when this was a house. You know, the, the people had their daily routine. They got up in the morning. They did this. They walked up and down the stairs. Shadow hand. So it's it's just the... the Is that another technical term? Shadow, shadow hand, hand uh, yes. Shadow people. Actually, shadow people. Yeah. Shadow yes, people. And some of you who might be thinking some of your experiences, spirits depending on the story are different forms sometimes that solid is you and I sometimes that transparent spirit but shadow people are also a very common occurrence yeah, that just reminds me of Stranger Things the Netflix yes. series <laughs> and the shadow realm the well shadow realm. there's an alternate universe that uh, <laughs> bleeding over well that's also a theory that's, that's about a ghosts theory too. Yeah. that's a theory too yeah. so do any of the stories that we kind of just heard about that people have witnessed in here do they have any lessons attached to them as well like that you know, is it kind of parallel to the to the Freer Park Demon, that story about don't go parking with your girlfriend at night, but, like, you know, yeah. people are here late at night. This is a thing that, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very common thing. Is there any, like... See, I, th I think, it, personally, and maybe you can, you can mm -hmm. back me up or disagree, I think there's kind of two levels. There's ghost stories, and then there's legend and lore. Legend mm -hmm. and lore is kind of the stuff that was created to, 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 pr to stop people from doing, you know, bad behavior and then there's ghost stories <laughs> things that people actually encounter like or you know like the, my uncle or the, the the voicemail which we could play sorry i brought that up because i want to say oh into the, it. yes let's uh, do that <laughs> um, <laughs> let's go there so you know things that are not necessarily a recurring appearance or a story that's been passed down from generation or from city to city and, and whatnot and of course they do bleed into it that that you know oh, yeah. the ghost the, the line is very yes. ghostly if you will and it's I, transparent and i also <laughs> think a lot of times it it takes a little bit for that morality tale to happen mm -hmm. where there's a kernel of truth in this is the folks who are telling this, this happened to them, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was a trick of the eye or something, it happened to them. Well, and then, so for now it's fresh, but maybe in a generation or Mark at the end could use it as a lesson of, yeah, this is why you need to close up late at night, like <laughs> at <laughs> on time, uh, because, and that could, you know, so it really depends on the storyteller. And I think, when I've told this story and somebody here might tell the story and it goes on, it will morph and change depending on who the storyteller is and what their agenda is, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if anybody's got any kids, uh, my, my, I've got twin boys and they're like four years old and all of a sudden, like, Leo would come running into the room. It's like three o'clock in the morning. He's like, where's Charlie? And I'm like, what? So you jump out of bed and you're like running to the room <laughs> and he's under the covers. So it's, it's like very simple, but for a brief second, you're like, oh, my God, what's happened to Charlie? <laughs> then um, then like one, one of the boys would say to me, like, I, I think somebody's in my room. And then you can't help it. But I don't believe in ghosts. But all of a sudden, like, you just get that, oh, my God, I don't want to go in there. So I, like, I, try and get, I try and get my wife to come in there with me. And she's like, I'm not going in there. <laughs> God. So let the kids fend for themselves. <laughs> it's fine. Well, Paul, do you want to explain though why 3 a.m. might be something you want to pay attention to when your kids wake up at it's, that hour? It's true. Well, and I, before I do that, I was just going to ah. say there is. It's not there, the witching hour, is it? Yes, it, it is. That, that is very true. It is the witching yes. hour. <laughs> a note about kids prior to you launching into that too, but like things that you're afraid of doing. I was terrified of looking at the baby monitor because after seeing all those movies like Paranormal Activity mm -hmm. or whatever, that you know things weird things would happen in the baby monitor. Like for the first year of my daughter's life i would not look at the baby <laughs> monitor forget it well and there is some, there is something to be said that's it's said often that 
children have this kind of the, the sixth sense, not to steal the, the, the name from the movie, but they have this kind of sixth sense where they can sense things that as you get older, you kind of lose that ability. I, I remember a friend told me once that she was walking out of, a, of a, a store and there was a cemetery across the street and her daughter pulled on her and she said, look at all the people having the party across the street. And she said, what, what are you talking about? That's a cemetery. She said, no, look at all the people dancing around the cemetery. So she clearly saw something that her mother didn't. Um, and, and so <laughs> it is said that, you know, children can see things that we, that yeah, we can't. Yeah, there's kind of a veil that's yeah. sort of dropped once you become an adult yes. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You just have a yeah. op- more open mind so you're willing to... Yeah. Exactly. The things that you see. Children can see Bruce Willis after he's been shot. Yes. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so you're saying we should bring a child into the pub? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a Seinfeld At episode, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So there, there is something to be said about the 3 a.m. Um, the witching hour, or as it's sometimes referred to as the Antichrist hour, uh, and that actually stems back to biblical references that. Um, Christ was crucified at 3 p.m., making the opposite, 12 hours later, 3 a.m., the Antichrist hour. So it's said that that is kind of a time that can be a peak paranormal activity time due to those references. So That's part one of our live event. You can listen to part two next time when we discuss more local lore and invite members of our audience to tell their own stories.